So since we messed with your seats, we're going to mess with everything and do the service completely out of order just to see if you're paying attention. So take your Bibles, go to Colossians chapter 3. So, so this is a little bit of spillover from this last Friday night when we did a, a night of worship here at the church. We had a fantastic time. So if, if you missed that, next, pay attention. Next time that comes around, you do not want to miss it. This morning, what I want to do in Colossians 3 is, is make some uh, significant headway in a, in a um, pretty specific passage. You're going to kind of look at this as a, um, as a four-point or four-part message. It all flows out of what we start with today. And so, so we're going to drive through chapter 3, but I think the, the transition that I want to make right now is this, is as, as you're turning to Colossians chapter 3, and, and again, if you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles available back there. You can run to the back of the room and grab one of those um, and, and just look at page 180, or not 183, it'd be 1183, I think. Um, but take a look at that, and, and um, you can follow along with us in Colossians. Here's, here's the transition I want to make. Ask yourself this question, what would it look like, what would it be like if, if you lived all the time blown away by what God has done for you? What, what, what would it look like if, if, if as a person, that's how you lived day in and day out? I'm, I'm going to tell you, what would it look like if, if we as a church lived like that, just being blown away by the opportunities God's given us, by his faithfulness to us, by his generosity to us, to his goodness to us, to his kindness to us, his mercy to us? What would it be like if we lived with that in mind 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. How would that change your life if you, you lived a life where it was impossible for someone to steal our gratitude and gladness as it rests in God? What, what, would, that, what would that look like? Paul, Paul is going to tell us as we jump into chapter three of Colossians, he's going to say, that right there, that's what you need to hold on to. And I want you to live like you are thankful and grateful and, and you fully understand what it is that God's done for you. I don't mean be happy all the time, always up smiling, you know, skipping around hyper like some people we know. I mean, be the kind of people that are so overwhelmed with what Jesus Christ has done for you and in you that you can't help but be thankful and express that gratitude in certain ways. What would it look like? And this is how Paul begins. Look at Colossians chapter 3. So if you're an outline keeper, let me give you my outline. You ready? It's real simple. It starts with this, if. And the second point is, therefore. That's all I got. So I don't get graded on my outlines anymore. That was back in seminary. I just want to make sure that we walk through as much of this as we can. So chapter one, verse, or chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. So if you have been raised with Christ, stop right there. So if you've been raised with Christ, that's a transitional statement. And, he, and he's talking to who now? Everybody? No, he's very specific. If, if you have been raised with Christ, he has spent chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Colossians jamming home the truth about who Jesus is, his supremacy, his preeminence, his grandeur, his majesty, his awesomeness, his beauty, his, his power. His, he's the fact that, that Jesus is our treasure, that he is our hope, that he is to be the root of everything we do in the very center of it. He is to be our all in all. He spent two chapters going through all of those things, and he gets to the beginning of chapter three and says, now, in light of everything I just said about Jesus, if you've been risen with Christ, if you've believed in Jesus, if you've trusted in him, if you've received him, then you've been raised with him. 
And, and Paul's making sure before he moves on to the rest of chapter 3 that you get the point because everything flows from the fact or the lack of being raised with Christ. Because if you read the rest of chapter 3 without resting in the fact that you've been raised in Christ and you hear all the things that you're going to be told that we should do or, or what it should look like, the way we should live, then, then some of us can fall for the trap thinking that our acceptance in God's eyes is going to come down to our hard work and the merit that we deserve in God's eyes. And he reminds us, no, your acceptance in God's eyes is in Jesus. If you've been raised with Christ, so it begs the question, have you been raised with Christ? Have you been raised with Christ? I didn't ask if you are a conservative political person. I didn't ask if you grew up in church. I didn't ask if you have your own Bible. I didn't ask if you've been baptized. I didn't ask if you're here in church this very moment. What I asked is, have you been raised with Christ? Because it doesn't matter about what we talked about last week, not your religious rules, not your religious practices, not even your religious experience. Because what happens in, in religion, the things of religion are, are, are things that we have created in order to try to bring ourselves to God. But, but what's, what, what, what Paul is asking is, have you been risen with Christ? Being raised with Christ is knowing and confessing that you're separated from God because of your sin. Being raised with Christ is knowing and confessing that, that God came to you. Jesus is, is God in flesh. God showed up. Being risen in Christ is knowing and confessing that Jesus died in your place as your substitute. Being raised with Christ is knowing and confessing that Jesus was, was sacrificed for your sins and for your rebellion, and he rose again on the third day. And, and, and if you haven't known those things and haven't confessed those things, then here's the news. You ain't a Christian. And I certainly hope the thing that stood out to you in that sentence wasn't the fact that I used the word ain't. Because if you're not in Christ, you're not raised with Christ. The things of religion are things we create to try to bring ourselves to God. But God in Jesus Christ came to us. Are you raised in Christ? You can be raised with him. It's yielding yourself to the knowledge that you're a sinner and lost. And that Jesus came to die in your place. And he absorbed all of God's wrath on the cross for your sake. It's knowing and confessing those things and yielding yourself to his call in your life. Have you been raised in Christ? So, so now we continue. Paul says, if you've been raised in Christ or with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. So, so what he says is, if you've been risen in Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, then your goal, your pursuit, your drive, your aim, everything you do is to focus on him and who he is. Everything that you do, from the moment you awake to the moment you lay your head on the pillow at night. It's, and it's every action you do and every attitude that accompanies each action. Everything needs to be pointed in his direction. It's, it's looking at the heaven and being like, Lord, Jesus, would you shape me? Would you mold me? Would you make me? Would you chisel me? Would you wash me? Would you make me thankful? If you've been risen with Christ, then you will seek the things that are above. You will set your mind that way. You will daily hold on to Jesus as the center and the source of all of your joy. Have you been risen with Christ? 
See, if you've been risen with Christ, you will seek those things. Well, how, how do I seek those things? How do I do that? I mean, what does that look like? See, that's, that is our, our awesome human sin nature crying out for a check mark. We need a checklist in order to say that we're doing okay, which is one of the reasons why walking in Christ and being raised with Christ is so very difficult because the check mark is this. Jesus died in your place so you don't have to, and now you're at peace with God. Check. But you should be seeking him. How do you seek him? You read. And you you can't just use your own imagination to pretend what you think Jesus is like so that I'm seeking him. See, I looked at the daisies, which are now drowning, so I don't know if you can really actually find them right now, but, but look at the daisies trying to survive, and I see Jesus there. Now, you may see the imprint of his perfect creative design, but he's not the flower. You can't use your imagination to create who you think Jesus is. Um, we have a very specific layout of who Jesus is. It's in the authoritative word of God. That's where you go. That's where you uh, uh, seek. That's what you dive into. That's where you, you read. And you pray. You spend time on your face before God asking him to reveal himself to you and to, to show himself to you and to remind you of how good he's been to you. So you read, you pray, and some of you are going to freak out over this one. You preach. I'm not a preacher. This is what I mean, though. One of the, the things that we need to do more often is preach to ourselves. Preach the gospel to yourself. I listened to an incredible, I don't know if any of you listen to TED Talks. I listened to this awesome TED Talk, and I wrote her name down. It's Rebecca Kleinberger, um, and the, the title of her TED Talk, and I'd encourage you to listen. It's really fascinating. The title of her TED Talk is Why We Don't Like the Sound of Our Own Voice. That's always intrigued me, so I'm like, I'm going to listen to that one. And it was really fascinating, the science behind it all. I mean, and she says, there's, the way you look at your voice is like a mask. So if you were to wear a dramatic mask, the, the way everybody else hears your voice is looking at the mask. They see the mask. That's how they hear your voice. The way you hear your own voice is you're behind the mask looking through the eye holes, and, and it's like, well, it's a little different. The perspective is different. So, so when you hear your own voice as you're speaking, it, it's going through the bone structure of your skull, and so it sounds different to you than it sounds to everybody else. See, when, when, when the, the resonance is different, it doesn't sound in your, in your head. It sounds very sing-songy because you have the bone structure. Like, ooh, so I sound, very, like, I sound like I can sing. That explains American Idol, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when everybody else hears it, it's much more, much more sharp. So when you hear your own voice, you hear that, and you're like, that ain't me. I don't, I don't like that. I'm using the word ain't a lot. Sorry, English teachers. Um, the third voice, though, it's interesting, is that, that voice of the one who's holding the dramatic puppet that has the mask. It's the puppeteer. That third voice is the voice you hear in your head. The one that makes you sing that stupid song over and over and over again in your head? The, the, the one when you think your thoughts and you are speaking to yourself and it's not coming out of your mouth, you're hearing it in your head? Oh, I don't do that. Well, actually, you just did if you said that and didn't say it out loud. So that voice is the voice that needs to be grounded in the truth of the gospel. That voice that, that, that speaks to you all the time throughout the day is the one that needs to remember that you are a sinner redeemed by Jesus Christ and that your standing isn't built on anything but Jesus Christ. That voice needs to be reminding you of that time and time and time again, that it's all about Christ. So why? Because this, this is why you need to preach yourself. Look at verse three. You have died, your life is hidden with Christ and God, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That is a fantastic verse. 
Because in the middle of all this, set your minds on, on things above. Seek the things of Christ. Make sure you're focused there. He's saying, you're going to mess this up. Anybody sinned this week besides me? Okay, you all just lied if you didn't raise your hand. So there you go. There's your first one this week. Good job. <laughs> if you sinned this week, I got good news for you. The gospel's for you. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to save perfect people. So the gospel's for you. And so what you need to do is remind yourself of this verse. You are hidden in Jesus Christ. That means you are concealed in him. You are protected by him. You are secure in him. That, that means that, that your justification completely leans on what Jesus did and on nothing else. It's that old uh, hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And yet many times we think our hope is built on how good we do that day or that week or that month. In reality, it all comes down to the fact that I have been raised with Jesus. So my justification doesn't come by me having a great day or a great week. It comes in Christ and in Christ alone. Uh, yeah, okay, so time-wise, I'm going to... Let me jump to this. So if you've been risen with Christ, then seek the things above. Set your mind on things above. Um, it's not rocket science. If you've been risen with Christ and you are seeking him, and you're setting your mind on him, then there's a therefore that happens. If, if, you've, if you've continued to drive after him, if you continue to make Jesus the center of everything you do, if you make Jesus your focal point, if your whole life really does revolve around who Christ is and what he's done, then there is a result that happens in your life. Your life changes. It's not rocket science. It's like, it's like being in love. If you are in love with somebody, there are things that change. So for some of us being in love with our spouse, I'll just talk husbands. Husbands, some of us being in love with our wives, it means that our clothes get in the hamper and not the middle of the floor. Right? That's just reality. If you're in love, I mean, especially early in love, actually not even early, so, so today's 23 years. Stephanie and I have been married. She's put up with me for 23 years. So praise God for Stephanie. Uh, Woohoo! Yeah. Okay. Now, I don't think anybody would be like 23 years. Oh, young love, right? But even last night, as we were listening to music, we heard a song, and we we're both like, "Oh, that's so cool. That's us." And then I realized I'm 44, and I should stop that stuff. But 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 the reality is. The reality is when you're in love, it changes things. It's not rocket science. You see it happen all the time. If you are fixated on who Jesus is and what he's done for you, it changes things. And you begin to see things change around you. I heard a crazy quote this week, and actually the first time I heard it, I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. And I, have, I think I've repeated it to people 60 times this week. So here goes. How do you know when your bucket is full? you're trying to fill your bucket full of water, how do you know? It's, well, of course, today it's not too difficult, is it? How do you know when that bucket is full? You know because your feet are wet. How do you know when you're filled full of who Jesus is? See, there's evidences of it that surround you. And, and that's where Paul runs to. He says, so therefore, if you've been risen with Christ, let's turn over and look at verse five. He says, if, if, if this is true, therefore, what I want you to do is this, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, 
evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. Therefore, if you are risen in Christ, therefore put these things to death. Um, First, I'll say this. You read that list, there are no surprises on there. I don't think when I was reading through it and I said, put to death things that are of your earthly nature, sexual immorality, and somebody in here was like, what? Sexual immorality is wrong? No way. See, none of us are surprised by that. The problem is none of us treat it as serious as we should. See, what, what Paul says here, he says, I want you to put it to death. Murder it. Don't treat it with skepticism. Don't tiptoe around it so you don't awake the sleeping giant. Don't try to tame it like you would a wild animal. Murder it. Kill it. Fill it full with all the ammunition you can find. Treat it seriously. If your mind is fixated on who Jesus is and what he's done for you, then you will murder these things. And he walks through the list. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the list because some of it, again, is common knowledge. It's the way we treat those things that I think he's trying to emphasize. You will murder sexual immorality, the idea of every type of sexual immorality. And let me be clear about this. Nobody just happens to fall into sexual immorality. Nobody's walking one day and be like, oops, No, there are steps along the way that you continue to take and things you avoid to do and things you willingly overlook in ways that you just kind of wink at sin. And he says, no, 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 every step of the way, murder it. Men, murder your computer. If your right hand offends you, what are you supposed to do with it? Bandage it up. Cut it off. Oh, that's a little extreme. See, we treat these things as if they're not very serious. And then we're shocked at where we end up. Ladies, murder Facebook. Ooh, that one got an interesting response. That was really interesting. Murder it. I mean, it creates in you this insatiable desire to live somebody else's life or to think your life isn't as perfect as what's-her-name's life. And guess what? What's-her-name's life isn't perfect either. She just knows how to take good pictures. And her husband's not on Facebook usually. That's the other side of it, right? Murder it. Honestly, ladies, careful. Don't look back at all the guys. And that sounded terrible. Let me rephrase that. Ladies, don't look back at the guys you dated. (laughs) All the guys you dated. Don't look back at the guys you've dated and like romanticize that relationship like it was so good. But now I'm with him. Now what you just did is recreated history in your head. And you know what that is? Step one. Murder it. Put to death sexual immorality. Put to death impurity. That means moral corruption. Put to death lust. The desire and passage, let me, let me understand this. Sexual desire is ingrained in us and it's a God-given gift and it's a good thing as long as it remains within the confines of a biblical marriage. The moment it moves outside of that, it's trouble. It's, it's like fire. You put fire in a fireplace and it warms you and it brings light and it's actually a very delightful thing and soothing to your soul. But the moment you take fire out of the fireplace and put it in your living room, you got problems. So put to death these things. Put to death evil desires. That's the impulses to be out of step with God's good design. Put to death greed. 
And it's interesting, he puts a little thing at the end of greed. Put to death greed, which is idolatry. So, so it's interesting, how does that fit together? It's simple, it's this. Greed is desiring what you don't have. Greed in and of itself is a demonstration of your rejection of God as being an all-knowing and all-good God. Because what you are saying to God is, is you don't know what I need, you don't know what's best for me, what I really should have is this, this, and this. And so God, you don't know what you're doing, so why don't you step out of the way and you elevate yourself to the small g God position, which is what? Idolatry. Murder it. Murder it. Murder greed. Murder the thought that everything and everyone exists for me. And he continues on, verse 6, because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. That's fascinating to me, is, is, is that he talks about God's wrath being poured out, and I think for many of us, we hear about God's wrath and we can't wrap our head around how How could this good and gracious and merciful and wonderful and loving God be, be a God of wrath? So, so here, maybe this will help. Somebody comes to your house and steals, we had this happen. Somebody comes to your house and steals one of your potted plants that you left on the front porch. <laughs> That's not cool. Who would do that? What a dumb thing to steal. I mean, there's some disappointment there, right? But, but you're not going to see. Now, for, maybe my wife would pour out some wrath for that one. But for me, I'm like, that's just dumb. But you come to my house and you go after my wife, I promise you my response will be different. I promise you, there will be wrath coming out of me. I don't know what power I have. Don't test me. No, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what, what's going to come out of me. I just know that when you mess with someone that I love so much, there will be a wrathful response from me. And when God says, you see all these things, they're going to result in God pouring out his wrath. Because all of these things are simply destroying the people that God loves. So he will pour out his wrath on those sins. Continues verse 8. But now, so instead of just putting to death, now I want you to, to put away. The idea of put away is, a, is more than once. It's a repeated action over and over again. But now, put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice slander, and filthy language from your mouth. He says, put away anger. The idea is the person who, who sits off in the corners of the room because they don't like the way our seats are set up this morning. I look to make sure it's only Neil. I think I'm all right. He's good. <laughs> so <laughs> I look to make sure. But it's that person who sits in the corner of the room with their, their arms folded and they find something wrong with everything that's happening around them. It just, it's in them. That person who's missed the joy that God's intended for them. And it's trying to steal the joy from other people. Put it away. Put away anger. Put away wrath, the idea of outbursts of anger, a lack of self-control. Put away malice. It's that oozing bitterness that comes from someone who is, is spiteful. Put away slander. That means in anger, taking shots at somebody's reputation to drag them down. 
put away filthy language. And, and, I, and I think there's two different ways that can be understood. Put away filthy language, that means the, the language that you use, the cussing, the, 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 that, that technically could be what it's talking about, but probably better it's talking about abusive language used in an effort to hurt other people. Just put it away. Put it away, and he continues, don't lie to one another. Since you've put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. He says, no, don't lie to each other. Keep speak the truth. You've put off these old things and you're putting on the, the new things and you're being renewed over and over again. How? By seeking first. By setting your minds on Christ, by making him the center of everything you do, by pursuing him and him alone as your all in all, by being fixated on Jesus Christ. When those things happen and you're filled full and that bucket is overflowing, your feet begin to get wet and there's a, a reaction. There's consequences. Are your feet even damp? Are your feet even damp? Um, I'm going to take a chance here. I'm going to keep going. I was going to skip some of this, but I, I think I got time. So verse 11, let's keep going. He says this, So in Christ there's not Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all in all. So, so he says, now, if you are fixated on Jesus Christ, if you have fixed your eyes on him and you're pursuing him and him alone, then, then some of the results of that, some of the, the consequences of that, some of the therefore of that is going to be this. You're going to view other people the way they need to be viewed and the way they're viewed through God's eyes. You're not going to look at people as, as being, um, um, okay, so, so are there ethnic differences? Yes. Are there socioeconomic differences? Yes. Should they divide us? No. Should they affect the way we view people? No. There is absolutely no room in the family of God for classism or racism. None. Why? Because Christ is all in all. So he says, why? Because at our core, we're hidden in Jesus Christ. Our identity is in Christ. Everything else is secondary, but he is primary. He is supreme. He is what we focus on. So if we elevate a class or a, a race above another one within the family of God, we're simply diminishing the place that Jesus holds in our life. What we've said is we're better. So to have an elitist or racist thought is to betray your place in Jesus. Because that means you obviously don't understand what Jesus did for you and who he is. So if you've fixed your eyes on Christ, you're seeking the things that are above, if you're setting your hearts on the things that are above, then you will view other people the way that God views them. And he continues, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Stop right there for a moment. You heard that, right? I said this on Monday night when the elders were, we were walking through this passage. I, I think I, I can hear from God's word, us be called dearly loved. I can get that one, man. He loves us, but, but to be called holy, that is just intimidating. And yet it's not. Because it has nothing to do with me. I'm holy because God sees me through the lens of the blood of Christ. And so, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, I want you to put on compassion. This is as emphatic as the put-to-death statement. Put on compassion. Put it on you. Compassion. I love this Greek word. It's spagnizo. It means guts. Sounds like it means guts. Compassion from the very 
innermost being of who you are. I want you to be a person who is marked by splagnizo, by compassion. And what does that look like? He walks through. He says, put these things on. Put on kindness. That's the, the attitude of Jesus towards other people. Put on humility. It's having the attitude of Jesus towards yourself. Put on gentleness. The attitude of Jesus in your approach to other people. Patience. The attitude of Jesus in your approach, circumstances. And in the middle of all that, what I want you to do, verse 13, is bear with one another. Um, just in case you're wondering, that's not a short-term idea. That's the very foundation of the building that's bearing the load of the entire building. It's there, it's not moving. He says, what I want you to do is you have been fixated on who Jesus is and what he's done for you. In your response to other people, I want you to bear with one another. That means put up with, support each other, lift each other up, but not only bearing one another, here we go, forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. That preaches itself, doesn't it? So what have you been forgiven of? Okay, so it's the most horrible offense against the throne of God. You've offended a holy and righteous God. You deserve death and damnation. You deserve eternity and torment. And you can't forgive somebody because they stole your parking spot. You can't forgive somebody because they spoke a word against you. You can't forgive somebody because they broke your trust by lying to you. Oh, no, 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 no. What he says is that what I want you to do is live a life that is demonstrating forgiveness like you have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. I think that word rule is awesome. May the peace of Christ rule your hearts. The idea is um, a referee or an umpire who's keeping the play going. So it's a picture of a basketball referee, and the ball goes out of bounds. He's like, tweet, no, nope, bring it back. Let's do this again. Oop, foul. So try it again. So he could, or, or probably better, <laughs> I don't know how you bowl. It's the bumpers. I mean, I, I can, you know, it's amazing when you bowl with somebody who's so bad at bowling, they can still get a gutter ball, even though there's bumpers. It's just they're throwing it on a different lane. Been there, I've seen it. It's amazing. But that's the reality. of like, The peace of Christ, may it be this, right down the lane. And as you're walking life and you begin to find yourself getting outside the peace, may, may it just bounce you back into the middle. And just remember what it is that Jesus did for you. May the peace of Christ and the, the knowledge of who you are in Jesus, let it, let it keep you in the game, not falling off into that gutter anytime. So, so may the peace of Christ to, to which you're called rule your hearts and be thankful. I love that he just throws that in there. Be thankful. It, I don't know about you parents, but, but for us, when we leave the house, there are some instructions that we leave for the children, but then there's some basic ones like, and don't hit each other. And, and man, by all, don't leave the house. Don't eat dad's ice cream. <laughs> a little smirks from the little three over there. That's all good. 
don't do that. And it's so obvious. It's so basic. He's going through all of these huge things. He's like, and guys, come on. Be thankful. Become an expert in gratitude. Become an, an expert in all of the things that God has done for you. Don't be a stranger to God's mercy and God's blessings in your life, but instead be a person who is marked by thankfulness. Be thankful. As you're fixed on Jesus Christ, as you set your heart on the things above, as you seek the things above, what's going to happen is you're going to come to an understanding of the mercy and grace like you never have before. And when that happens, don't keep your mouth shut. Be thankful. What does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. What does it look like to, 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 to be thankful? It looks like letting the word of Christ dwell richly in you, live in you. It's not a static, oh, it's there. It's this dynamic bubbling that happens inside of you that should continue to happen. As the word of Christ is in you and you remember what it is you have to be thankful for, may it continue to bubble out of you. And that's the point he's trying to point, drive home here. He's saying, so you're going to speak to each other in, in, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, so let, me, let me be clear. There, there have been a number of people throughout the years who have tried to build a theology of music on that verse right there. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. The problem is contextually, that's not Paul's point. What Paul's saying is if you are living a life that is actually marked by thankfulness, you will find every opportunity to sing and make it known. I don't care if it's a psalm. I don't care if it's a hymn. I don't care if it's a spiritual song. I don't care if it's a song in the shower. I don't care if it's a song in your car. I don't care if you're humming when you're walking through the office. I don't even care if it's just you whistling. If you understand what it is you have through Jesus Christ, you will become an expert in thankfulness and it will demonstrate itself in this incredible, boisterous singing. We've said it before and we mean it. Singing is not a spectator sport. Singing never has been a spectator sport never will be a spectator sport. Can you guess where the application is going to land this morning? Sing! And I don't, I, don't, I don't care if you can carry a tune. I don't even care if you mess up the words even though they're right in front of you. I don't, I don't care if you sound like a choir as you sing. And, and I don't care if you sound like an elephant in heat when you sing. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry, I was going for a picture. It worked, I guess. Let it rip. Make a noise. Sing, let it, let it be filled, you be so filled full with who Jesus is and what he's done for you that the, the bucket is overflowing and, and people are seeing it because you can't shut up for the right reasons that are the rambling ones. Sing truth with us. And, and let the, the overwhelming attitude of our hearts be one of gratitude. See, see, I think sometimes we get to this passage of scripture and we, we read it and we study it, and what we get focused on is, I'm not supposed to do that, I'm not supposed to do this, I'm not supposed to do that, I'm not supposed to do this. But that's not Paul's point. Paul's point is, man, you now know what Jesus Christ did for you, right? You do remember who he is and what he's done for you, right? I mean, if you don't, may I make a suggestion, just read chapter one and two all over again. 
He's the image of the invisible God, the the seen of the unseen. He's the firstborn over all creation. Everything was created by him. Everything was created through him. Everything was created for him. He's before all things. And, And this supreme, massive, awesome, omniscient, omnipotent Jesus, but that's who leads the church. So we can stand with great confidence in who he is and, and what he's done. He's, he's the God who, who, who was filled, or Jesus was filled full with who God was. He's the very image of God. So if we want to see God, we look at Jesus. So if you want to see God and how he deals with those outcasts, you look at how Jesus dealt with the woman at the well or the, 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 the woman caught in adultery or the, the lepers, and you see the mercy and grace that oozes out of him. You want to see how Jesus deals with self-righteous religious people? Look at how he deals with the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he kind of undresses them with his logic and like, you guys are idiots. Now I'm going to deal with the people who I love and love me. You want to see God? Look at the cross. Because in the cross, you see both the fact that God is holy and he is just and he must pour out his wrath on sin. You also see that he's merciful and he's the justifier and he's the one that supplied the the payment for that penalty. So, so you know, when we say sing, do you know why we sing? We sing like our feet are wet. Are you risen in Christ? Then sing like it. Let's pray together. Father, um, I thank you for what you've done for us and how you love us. God, I thank you for Jesus Christ and how he finished all that we needed Lord, I thank you that in Christ we are sinless, spotless, and perfect, not because of our merit, not because of our goodness, because, Lord, we have none, but simply because of Jesus' merit and his goodness towards us. God, I thank you that we can fix our eyes on Christ and that, that in those moments we see him fully. Lord, I thank you that, that we can know him and be known by him. Lord, I thank you for the gift of music, the opportunity you've given to us to sing. And I know not everybody loves to sing, but, Lord, may we put that aside And instead, may we be a thankful and grateful people. May we sing like we've never sung before. May we highlight what it is that we have in Christ. May we do so to put a smile on your face and to encourage the brother or sister who is here this morning who is just dogging it. God, would you lift up our weak hands? Would you strengthen our feeble knees? Would you give us the strength we need to go off this hill into the face of darkness and proclaim that there is a light and his name is Jesus and he died for us? God, would you overwhelm us right now with what you've done for us? May we respond appropriately. It's in Jesus' good, risen name I pray. Amen.